0: hello everybody dr rick Wallace dropping in on you look uh forgive me if there are any hiccups we are testing out some new technology well new technology for me Uh, as we advance our expansion of all black news um we are definitely doing some new things and so uh, I'm trying out uh, some new technology, uh, some, a different way of streaming than I normally do. I'm actually streaming on multiple platforms now. Uh, if I'm correct, I'm streaming on Facebook, uh, YouTube, and uh, uh, Periscope, which is Twitter. I okay. uh, just wanted to stop in. Uh, and actually, we're going to talk about something, but uh, there are some things I want you to be aware of. If not today, tomorrow, we're going to be addressing the elephant in the room, and that is childhood sexual abuse and specifically incest in the Black community, the long-term implications, uh, what it has meant for me as a therapist, what I see, what I would like to see moving forward, and really taking a long, hard look at it. Uh, so I want, we're, we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But I wanted to stop in as we test this new technology for all uh, black news. I want to uh, thank you guys who have supported the black voice over the years. You know, we've made quite a few runs at this thing. Uh, We had a few hiccups, uh, some interruptions on channels and things of that nature by the powers that be, which has increased the requirement for having our own space, which we're constantly working on creating. Uh, but I want to thank you guys for supporting me. I want to thank you guys for coming by. I want to thank you guys for holding me accountable and holding me to the flames uh, for being authentic, for being real, for being uh, as honest and truthful as I know I can be and presenting what I know to be the truth. Um, and I see we already got somebody on here who hasn't heard a word and already jumping in. Um And I'm going to address it from the perspective of uh, where I stand in the black community. Uh, I love to see people critiquing other people's careers uh, that haven't obtained. And I'm talking about not just people chiming in here. I'm talking about people, period. Uh, let's, Let's talk about it. Kwame Brown. Kwame Brown was drafted by the Wizards prim- primarily by Michael Jordan, not as a player to keep, but as a position or a pawn to gain uh position in the draft to get someone else. Unfortunately, the owner from what I understand blocked it uh, a lot went on and this kid was drafted number one. And so over the course of years, he's not the only one that has been labeled a bust because they didn't live up to the draft type. Um, and fortunately my career uh as it has evolved in span put has put me right in the middle of a lot of these conversations and right in the middle of a lot of it so i've seen it up close i know what it looks like i actually work with kids now uh that are preparing to go off or attempt to get into professional sports so i see it from not only a talent perspective from but from a psychological perspective i've also seen kids who have had so much pressure that they've ended up killing themselves and so as a person who deals with uh, the psychological component of where we're at as a people on a daily basis, this isn't something new for me. This isn't a one-off big, hot, Oh man, check this out. It's the hot thing. Um, I've watched it for a long time and listened to what the kid is saying. And a bunch of things are going to be ignored. The thing is this number one, There are a couple of elements and components that I want to get to if if I have time. Uh, The first one is there's a way to address things. And there's a thing that I call social responsibility as a black man. And what we have to realize as far as all the smoke uh, is concerned, that's a platform that uses heat and smoke and talking about hot issues to generate. It's it's following and therefore generate its revenue. So you expect controversial issues. So you expect that to come out so many other things, the Stephen A. Smith's and everything like that. First and foremost, I want to I put Charlemagne, the God's initials in the title. But I want to make something clear. Charlemagne is actually he came out in defense of the brother. But in doing so, he put a lot of the brother's business out that he probably shouldn't have put out and discussed it, uh, as he put it, too casually. And he came on and apologized. So I want to acknowledge the fact that Charlemagne Lagarde came on and apologized uh for the role he paid, but when he did it, he was actually coming to the defense of this young brother. Now, let's get back to this whole thing. He was drafted number one. Okay, in sports, there are expectations that come with being drafted number one. You're expected to perform at a certain level because. Uh, an organization has invested something very valuable. Their their number one pick, which you don't get a lot in the NBA. They've invested in you. So they're expecting a return. Now let's be honest based on the number one draft pick. He did not live up to the expectations. Uh, this isn't what this is about. This isn't about saying, okay, You know, this is this. This is about sitting up and balancing this thing out and understanding how this thing really works. First of all, understanding that there are politics in sports. Sports isn't just about talent. I have seen a bunch of talented kids go to the league and not make it for a bunch of different reasons. Some of it them, some of it being under the wrong program, the wrong coach at the wrong time. Some of it is being blackballed having the wrong, having the right person say the wrong thing about you, and then it sticks. So everybody sees you that way. And all of a sudden now, nobody's giving you a chance to be anything other than what that person said you were. And in this case, the person who labeled this kid is Michael Jordan, Mr. Basketball, the most preeminent name in basketball, period, is Michael Jordan. And at this time, Mike said a bunch of things about the kids and done a bunch of things behind the scenes that impacted this kid. Now, we got to understand this kid, 17, 18 year old. The truth of the matter is what 17 or 18 year old, you know, is actually really mentally and psychologically ready to go in and do this. You have that. Has it happened? Yes. Kevin Garnett did it. Kobe Bryant did it. LeBron James has done it. Uh, A number of other people. Have done it. Moses Malone did it way back in the day. Daryl Dawkins did it. It has happened, but in most of those cases, there were other surrounding circumstances. In most of those cases, you have a situation in which um, there is a mentor. Kobe was born and reared by a professional basketball player, birthed into a professional basketball environment. Plus, he came into the Lakers he was not expected to do everything immediately. Why? Because he had a – he didn't even start. He had a talented cast. He worked. He played behind Eddie Jones, who in and of himself was a beast of a player. You had uh, – the only one that I've seen that just came NBA ready was LeBron James. Uh, Kevin Garnett came. He was beastly and, you know, everything like that. But LeBron James showed up ready to play – And LeBron James was tested in time because of some of the things he went through. He went through a lot of the things that this kid went through, but maybe not to the extent of being homeless. Uh, Maybe not to the extent of having the world on his shoulders uh, in the sense. And then again, maybe I'm a little off on that because I don't think nobody came into the league with more expectations than LeBron James. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, Uh, I don't weigh in on the GOAT conversation because I don't argue. I don't like arguing against people that are great. Uh, And that's where normally these conversations go. They go instead of talking about why you think a person is the GOAT, you like to talk about why you think a person isn't. So you attack the other person. Uh, The people in that conversation are great. They've done what they do at a level that most people can't do what they do. So they have mastered their craft. And I get that. Uh, and I agree with you, Ronald. That's my point. When you have an 18 year old and you're trying to treat him the way you handle a 30 year old. And we know what the reputation of Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan crushed grown men, uh, grown men's confidence for a living. So. Imagine being an 18-year-old and the arguably greatest player to ever touch a basketball is in your face telling you, you ain't crap, you ain't this. And then he's bringing in some of these old head tough guys that you've watched bust people up over the years like Charles Oakley and some of the other guys who are threatening to beat you up every day. And all of a sudden it's here. Uh, I've heard the kids say that they worked him out two and a half hours before each game and then sit him on the bench until they got behind, then brought him in and then would yell at him like he's the reason they're behind. Well, that may not have been what they were doing, but as an 18 year old kid, that's how he's thinking. This still isn't even the reason why I'm on here, but I'm trying to get this point across to people who come back and say, well, he's a bust. Well, for those of you who are not real big sports fans, let me explain to you what a bust. Is. A bust is the person who comes in with these high expectations, primarily somebody who's drafted high, and then they don't deliver. And so they're they're, they're labeled as bust. Now, in some instances, I I have what you consider somebody you can label bus. And I would never say that about a person because I don't know what they've been through. And and maturity has taught me to not judge a person what I have in the whole story because there's more than what you just see on paper that is the presentation of a person's life. And you gotta be real careful how you label people. And so, uh, but there are people who have shown up, drafted number one, didn't last the whole year in the league. Others that have been drafted, and haven't been able to stay on the court the entire couple of years they stayed in the league and then they disappear. This kid came into the league was drafted. Number one played for 12 years. And let me put things in perspective for people who are basketball fans that probably hasn't looked at it in this way. This kid had a career where he averaged seven points and seven rebounds uh, in the regular season. That's a career better than Robert Ory, who is known as Big Shot Bob, who played here in Houston for a number of years and actually launched his career as hitting big shots. Now, the difference is, yes, he, he won some playoff games. He's got a bunch of rings to back up. But statistically speaking, this kid had a career real similar. I think Robert Ory is seven seven points and six rebounds over the course of his career. He just happened to play with some great teams, be in the right place at the right time and be prepared to hit the shot. Not taking anything away from Robert, I absolutely love Big Shot Bob, but let's put things in perspective. This kid paid for 12 years, earned over sixty five million dollars in 12 years, kept a promise that he made to his mother at five years old that he was going to buy her a house. He bought her a house on a golf course. That's more than the average man is going to do. Now, does that erase the fact that he did not deliver? Are we really, truly looking at the whole thing? Um, removing Charlemagne, the God from, from the equation, because he's already come back and apologized for what he did, which was actually, in his attempt, uh, a, a, a way of trying to uh, defend this kid who is from Charlemagne's hometown. Charlemagne knows the kid's story, so he knows how... Uh unlikely it was for him to be the 1% that makes it. See, we're not looking at it that way. We're looking at it. Now, here's the problem I have with the whole bus thing. I'm 18 years old, or if I've gone to college all four years, 21 or 22 years old, and someone who is supposed to be an expert in talent and basketball, not one person, but a crew of people who have sit down and evaluated me has determined that I'm the best player in the draft. I had nothing but how I have played up to that point to do with that decision. They did it. They sit up and said, this is who he is. Now, if you really actually look at what Michael Jordan was doing, he was admitting that this kid wasn't the best. He was the most taught it But he wasn't the best because Mike wasn't drafting him to be a player. Mike was drafting him to trade off for a player he wanted. The problem is that when he drafted him, there was so much hype around him that the owner blocked it. So now Mike is stuck with him. So guess what? Mike's pissed. Mike doesn't really want him there. So Mike is sitting up and looking for any reason to get rid of him. But here's the problem. Mike labeled him as lazy. Mike labeled him as a bunch of other things that now carries massive weight with all the other coaches, all the other GMs. So now, when he's traded or he he's really uh, he's picked up by another team, they've already pegged him as okay. We, we're going to use you as a rebounder, or we're going to use you. We're never going. You he never ever received an opportunity again to be a first option. So we don't know what he could have done if he had a came in on a different team with a different situation. Kobe, if Kobe would have stayed in Charlotte, Kobe's situation would have been different. Would Kobe have been great great? Yes. Kobe had a work ethic starting back at 10 years old. If you know his story of how he worked and Kobe went from 10 years old in little league not scoring a point his whole summer season, his whole whole summer league season, didn't score one point to by the age of 14 being that kid. And he went to Laura Marion with some pretty nice players who made it to the league as well, and they talk about how different he was. So he was going to be great, but would he have had five rings? Would we be talking about him in the same breath we're talking about him, or would he have just been another cat with a lot of numbers because he could score? And we've had him. Everybody is judged based off of situations. So what I could tell you, there are politics in basketball. And I still haven't really gotten to the entire point I'm trying to make. But what I'm talking about is we need to start looking beyond the surface. We need to start asking questions. But my thing is, and the kid is right, you got people like Stephen A. Jackson. I mean, Stephen A. Smith, excuse me, Stephen A. Smith. Well, Steve Jackson, too. But Stephen A. Smith who played ball in high school, went to college, played ball, but wasn't good enough to play in the league, but knew enough about ball and and had a a gift for gab and had a personality. Have no problem with none of that. Do your thing. But are you really the one to call someone a bust? You know, and it's all, again, based off of his perceived talent and how he would perform. So, again, I'm going to stress, you've got professionals evaluating his talent. And obviously they did not um, validating his talent and did not make a right evaluation or did not consider his psychological makeup. You can't coach everybody the same way. I have a total of 13 kids. Me and my wife have 13 kids, oldest, it will be thirty six this year. The youngest is seven. None of them are parented the same. I got some of my son, sons. I go to, and it's like I'm in their face, and that's and that's how it is. I got another son. I've got to be careful how I approach him because my voice and how I feel about him carries so much weight. If he feels like I'm coming down too hard, he takes it personal. And he misses the point me being right means absolutely nothing me being right means absolutely nothing and and I thought about that too hold on uh miss uh Versace T Versace oh man uh I thought about that too and and when I posted Charlemagne's video I said we may question the uh we may question the motive behind this but at least he's the one that came out. Everybody else is still trying to find a way to cut this kid's legs from underneath him. But this dude did at least come out and say he apologized and that he put his family's and say, i never saw what Charlemagne did. So I can't speak to it in depth, but what it sounds like is he said some things about this kid's life that put a lot of people on edge, had a lot of people hot from his hometown. And so that may be a lot to do with it too. He's got people in his hometown on him. Um, but back to this thing there's politics in basketball people don't get that it's not just how talented there's some talent out there you'll never know about because somebody didn't like them i have personally as an athlete coming out watched a high school coach throw a kid's letter from a college in the trash i have watched a bunch of stuff i have watched and so imagine Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks a lot. Look, uh, the thing is this. My whole reason for getting involved in this is this. There are so many things going on. And when I see black men in a position to where they have a voice and the way that they decide they want to keep their voice is by going after other black men. Yeah, I know, hey, that's what this is about. We just call it what what it is. My thing is, and don't get me wrong, Stephen A., I mean, not Stephen A., Stephen Jackson definitely used his platform when he went to bat for George Floyd, who he knew personally. Uh, He he definitely used it. He definitely uh, took some heat, but he also did some heat out. This isn't about just going after and saying everybody's wrong all the time. This is about this kid was supposed to be weak and soft and everything like that for 12 years was the butt of jokes. He showed up every day. He played, he practiced, he worked out and produced a 12 year career that in a field that only 1% of the people aspiring to get there, get there. And we need to see it for that. And we need to be careful as black men specifically talking to black men, how we shape, and how we frame things. You know, you're sitting up and you're calling a person a bust that's doing something that only 1% of the people in this world do. No, he didn't perform to the level other people set for him. He didn't set that expectation. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to get to the league, make enough money to take care of his mother, and get out of poverty. That was that. My thing is, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to press this issue once again, as black men with platforms, you know how many times that was low-hanging fruit because somebody had did something stupid? And those of you who have followed me for any stretch of imagination know I'm telling the truth. because Somebody became low-hanging fruit because they did something real dumb, and everybody else was taking shots at them, and I never said anything. The only people that I've gone after are people that I believe truly are against us. People who will sit up the Charles Barclays, the Steve Harvey's. Steve Harvey, I I only went after him because he thought it was a good idea to bring Paula Dean into a black male youth camp as a mentor right after she had used the N word. And then when he was called out on it by the black people, he said he didn't give a damn. Why? Because he has white people now. And so, yeah, I went after him because I thought that was so that was that was shady and it was sellout. Another word you've never heard me use ever is that C word. C.O.O.N. Even though I see some people acting a whole bunch of ways and I feel it inside. That's just certain things I'm not going to say about another brother, no matter what. Why? Because people will take that, put it out there in the open space. And then make it be black on black and everybody. And then it's all. The, my thing is, I'd rather go to a brother. It's some brothers that you know that have voices that I have gone to behind the thing, spoke to and said, look. I don't think what you're doing is cool. I don't think that's where I think you need to reel it in. That's just my opinion. I love your brother. And they, they know who they are. There are some experiences I've had with other people that I didn't like how something went down. And I never went public with it. Why? Because it would give the movement a black eye behind something personal. There's a way you've got to carry yourself as a black man. And my thing is when a black kid is out there coming from what that kid came from and is focused enough to get past all of the stuff that interrupted him the moment he entered the league and not fold and not shut down and not give up and throw throw in the towel but stay there and year after year be called a bust, but still showing up, to me, that speaks volumes. That's the kind of kid I want being a role model to some of these black men. Not because he did something great, not because he got it all right or he showed up. It's not the person that shows up and does the best. It's the person that has the greatest heart to me. It's the person that refuses to give in. It's the person that you can look at their life and say, man, they shouldn't have got this for. I'm not judging the kid based on what Michael Jordan and a bunch of other people thought he should have done. I'm basing it on the fact that after he didn't do it, he didn't quit. And that all, that's all that really matters to that. But it's back to this thing while he's coming and he's bringing the heat that I'm here. Black people with platforms, need to be more focused on building than we are on tearing down. There's so much that we can do with these platforms. And now that we're creating things like All Black News, where we're literally building this stuff off of these platforms. Yes, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. But now we've got a place that we can go and we can put up our content and we're building the uh, capacity and the bandwidth to do that so we can sit up and say, hey, come here. And they can't take it away. That is power. That is power. That's what we're building. But you have to be willing to build. you got to put your ego aside. Something I told myself a long time ago. I have to put my ego in check. I have to be OK with myself enough that I'm the only person that that, that that's tooting my horn. I'm good. I don't I'm not here. I told you this, guys before. If you, if you followed me for any time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've told you this before. I'm not here for likes. I'm not here for shares. I'm not here for pats on the back. I don't need my ego stroke. I can stroke my own ego. Why am I here? I'm here to share what I spent 30 years of scientific research developing, the understanding of our plight, what I do best. I'm here to share it. I'm here to be honest. I'm here to call a spade a spade when it's time. I'm here to bring some ideas to the front. I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. I'm not always right. And you who have followed me know there have been times that I've come back and I've uh, recorded a video retraction about something I stated that I later realized was not on track. I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. I have no problem being questioned. You will do it respectfully, though, or you won't be on this channel. But I don't expect everybody to agree with me. I don't I have never traveled in all that I've been able to do. I have never traveled in a pack of yes, men. I need some people who will tug on my coattail when I'm feeling myself a little too much. I need somebody to tug on my coattail when I can only see one thing and I'm missing the bigger picture. I need people who aren't afraid to tell me exactly what's on their mind because that's going to make me stronger. So that's not why I'm here. I'm not here for the likes. I'm here because we need to get to a point where we're winning, where we're standing with one another, where we're walking with one another, where we're holding each other to the flame and challenging one another, not constantly looking for the easy, low-hanging fruit to attack. So we look big and so people will come click and we get all this heat and all these viral viral shares because we're going after somebody who was, quote unquote, a low-hanging fruit. My thing is, if the brother's down, why not call him in? Who were the people that that come alongside this brother and say, man, look like you're struggling here. Let me help you. Everybody was taking their shots. And yet he's still there, 12 years, 65 mil. Still has a net worth, from what I understand, about eight mil. So here's my thing. If it it doesn't edify, we need to leave it alone. Now, this isn't about cosigning BS. This isn't about seeing people doing stuff they shouldn't be doing and not calling them on it. This is about not attacking people who are trying to fight to be something and get somewhere and do something good. This is about sitting up and speaking power, speaking edification, encouragement, inspiration, and empowerment into the lives of our people. They need it. Trust me, I'm dealing with people every day that have been stuffed on and pressed down and, 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 and shoved aside by their own. We can no longer win. We can't win. We ain't winning no way. We can't win and continue to do that. This is not going to be a viable option for empowerment. If you want to check out some of the stuff that we're doing. You can go to the Odyssey Project uh, 21.top and check out the work I've done for years. Uh, you can check out the number of books from Born in Captivity, uh, Born in Captivity, uh, The Undoing of the uh, African American Mind, The Miseducation of Black Youth, and so many others that are out there. You can look, read on, on the site about Black Men Lead, what is, which is a rite of passage initiative that came from the studies that I did. in in, into african-american adolescent and young adult male violence what causes it? how can we predict it how can we stop it how can we curtail it spent years into it uh stood on some some very powerful shoulders uh dr howard stevenson out of the university of pennsylvania dr jar degras uh out of the uh university of portland uh everybody knows her for post-traumatic slave syndrome but she had a major role in setting up the scaling system to under to be able to predict African-American adolescent violence. And all of this stuff we put together and I put it in a program to help socialize young black men because the lack of proper socialization is the second most powerful influence into violence. The first is the feeling of being disrespected. So now you see why the kids upset? The number one cause of violence in youth And young adults is the feeling of being disrespected. But what we find is when youth and young adults are properly socialized into manhood and in our case, black manhood. They are less likely to be caught up in the criminal system. They are less likely to be caught up in uh, emotional outbursts that lead to violence and rob them of their freedom of their life. And rob other people of their lives. We're losing a lot of our baby girls to men who simply are not mentally and emotionally equipped to deal with life. They can't handle rejection. They can't. All of these things are things that we need to be talking about. All of these things are things that we. Thank you, Yvette. Yeah, from what I hear, Jalen Rose came real, uh, and Jalen is kind of like that. You know, from what I've gathered uh, uh, of, of watching him over the years, but. Yeah, back to it. But I'm just saying we've got a lot of work to do. We have so much work to do. Uh, it's easy to take shots at the low hanging fruit. It's easy to take shots at the low hanging fruit. The bottom line is this. Those who are going to have a legacy. And I tell people all the time, the first half of my life was about me. It was about me getting what I want, proving what I could do. Uh. uh my cash app. Uh, I'm gonna put it in right now, brother. Uh, my sister, it says stay focused. I don't know which one. All right, that's the cash app. Um, but uh, we need to be in a point of uplifting of reaching out and and, and saying, how can I help? I get mothers who come to me often with adult sons who they're afraid they're going to lose to the system because they don't have any guidance. They haven't been properly socialized. I get a lot, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow because I'm definitely not going to get to it today. We're going to talk about this tomorrow. Uh, The elephant in the room, uh, childhood sexual abuse, incest within the black home. Uh, We're going to talk about it on a very detailed and and definitive uh, scale Um, because I would say 15, maybe 17 years ago, um, I I, I became aware of a phenomenon. It was like almost every black woman that came to me uh, with issues when we got to the core. I have a a process I use when I deal with my clients I call it peeling layers. We start with where you're at and what you think your problem is now, but we start peeling layers and we start traveling back. We do it slowly because I want it to be comfortable and natural because I want you to be able to speak your truth and tell exactly how you felt and what you were going through at different times. Eventually we get to childhood and I'd be doggone. It seemed like almost every last one had been through some type of sexual trauma. I'm like, this can't be real. So I called up one of my colleagues. Hey bro, you know, is it just me? You know, is this happening or is it every per, every black female that's ever been molested decide to pick me? And the truth is, he was saying, no, man, I'm saying the same thing. How I met my wife was she came to me, uh, for you know, to help heal her healing process. By the time she got to me, she had already been through a great deal of healing. She was already on her way, but she came to me. And one of the things she had been through was childhood sexual abuse. And she had, you know, she's a survivor. And I love my wife to death because she's doing work with ghettos, forgotten daughters. And she's literally out in detention centers working with youth. She's counseling young women. She's speaking and she's doing that thing. But there's so much that we really, really truly need to be aware of that we don't. And we're going to talk about that tomorrow. But I'm glad that the kid has a voice. That's the beautiful thing about social media now, though, is you don't have to just sit back and hear what people are saying. You can stand up and speak up for yourself. And, um, you know, hold some people accountable for what they're doing. It's put shed, shed the light on. My thing is, if the work you're doing can't stand the light of truth, can't stand the light of. Uh, honesty, so to speak, then you have a problem. To me, it's not just what you do, it's the intent behind it, the motive behind it. How are your intentions? I can deal with mistakes as long as your intentions are good. That's what we need to really talk about. Look, I thank you guys for stopping by. I hope that these broadcasts went over well because happening on multiple channels, it seems like everybody's weighing in from different uh different platforms so everybody seems to be seeing this uh Neota, thanks for this this is definitely going to be a lifesaver over the long haul uh thanks for uh setting me up with this but look everybody has growing to do i wake up every day and this is my this is my goal every day i don't want to go to sleep the same man that i woke up uh i remember my i was reared by my great grandfather never knew my father i met my father the first time at his funeral But I was reared by my great grandfather, so I had the blessing of uh, uh, being in the home with a very powerful uh, man who was very certain of himself. And he taught me a bunch of things. But I used to hear him say all the time when someone asked him how he's doing. He said, well, I'm not what I want to be or what I should be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. And now I get it. He was saying I'm growing. He, he was saying, I'm growing. I, I, I'm not what I should be yet. And that's how I see my life every day. I haven't arrived. I haven't made it yet. I'm not what I should be, but I'm thankful that I'm not who I used to be. That every day I wake up and my goal is to go to bed a better man than when I woke up. And then to pass that passion on to other young men. Don't be so full of yourself that you think you've arrived, that you think you're better than anybody else. I don't think I'm better than anybody. I just know I have something to give a lot of people and I'm doing it with every bit of me. And so that's the thing that I want to put. It's easy to go after low hanging fruit. It's easy to talk about somebody that may be struggling in an area you're not struggling in. That doesn't make you a good man. That doesn't make you better. What makes you better is to be able to walk over and say, brother, I see you struggling. Is there anything I can do to help? That's why so many of us as black men can't get on in this world is because we are out there trying to do it on our own on an island because someone told us the lie that real men don't need help. And so we're looking around and we're judging each other and we've created this idea that I can get on by showing the world that I'm doing better than you. So instead of helping you, I'm in competition with you. So I'm trying to show, look, he barely got it. I may, I'm earning six figures. I'm earning seven figures. I'm doing this. He don't got that. I got this. Look at me. Look at me. Do you know how much further we could be if we all came together and say, if we all go, we go together and we stand up and we actually pour into one another, we become a tribe. I'm going to leave you with this. And then we'll, we'll jump on uh, something else tomorrow. My grandfather, every day I would come home from football practice and track practice. My grandfather was retired, so he'd be sitting on the porch. He had built him a screen around the porch so that the bugs and the flies and mosquitoes couldn't get in. And when I walk inside the porch, he would say, sit down, boy, I want to talk to you. And he would break me off some kind of knowledge. He would kick me some wisdom. He had a second grade education. He had a second grade education. He 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 didn't get to finish school. Why? Because he was born in 1909. He was the son of a sharecropper who happened to be a slave. But he was born in 1909, and he was born the son of a sharecropper. So at seven years old, in the second grade, he had to leave school to go out in the field to help his dad help uh, make ends meet. But what he what he lacked in education, academic uh, skills. He possessed in wisdom and experience. And he would just break these gems off to me. But one day, at the age of 17, I never will forget it. I walk in, he says, sit down. And I can't tell you today, at age 54, why I was so excited about hearing him talk to me. I look forward to it every day. When most kids don't want to hear what their parents are saying, and I deal with it too. Kids don't want to be corrected. Kids don't want to be for whatever reason, there was something in me that wanted it. And so I got there and I've never met. I was 17 years old. And he said, son, I'm going to tell you this. I try to give you everything I got. I try to share everything because I want you to be successful. He said. What I'm about to share with you now, if you get it. You won't have to chase greatness. It'll overtake you. But if you don't get it, you'll spend your life in misery and anger and bitterness. He said, check this out. You ain't in but one or three places your entire life going into a storm, in a storm or coming out of one. He said your first mind is going to be to look for somebody to blame for why you in the storm. Who pushed you in the ditch? Who put you in that situation? Son, don't waste your time. Ninety nine percent of the time it's you. Some decision you made to let somebody get close, some decision you made that you didn't thought was gonna think was going to catch up with you, it was you. That's not your concern. You know what your concern is, son? Your, concern, your only concern when you find yourself in the storm is to make sure you come out a better man than when you went in. He said, if you live your life like that, you won't have to chase greatness. It'll overtake you. You will make an impact in this world that will speak of you long after you're gone. That's called a legacy. That's why I do what I do. The first half was about me, but the second half is about building a legacy. The second half is about leaving something behind that tells the world I was here. That speaks of me long after I'm gone. That's better than any pat on the back, any stroke of my ego, any likes, any viral video that somebody shares, knowing that I've touched lives in a way that those lives will touch lives. That's what it's about. And that's what it has to be about us. What are we leaving behind for the subsequent generations to live off of outside of debt, poverty, trauma? Cats running around here. uh, So weak in the mind and unsure who they are. Their best take on any day is to attack our sisters. This isn't to say our sisters don't have issues. But as a black man, your number one goal should be to protect them. I know it can be difficult at times, but that should be your number one obligation. Not to attack them, not to blame them for every darn thing under the sun going on in the black community. But to say as a leader, it starts with me. And you will be surprised when you stand up, step up walk out and live in your true manhood, how many of these sisters will actually gladly follow? Now, ladies, this doesn't mean I'm not going to hold you accountable for a bunch of stuff I see out there. But I'm never going to come at you sideways. I'm never going to talk to you ugly. I'm never going to put you down. Why? Because that's a reflection of my character. When I speak, I represent me and I represent my last name. That man that raised me gave me his last name. My great grandfather, we're talking about being reared by your grandmother's daddy. And he gave me that name. And I told him I wouldn't screw it up. I made some mistakes. I made some mistakes, some things I'm not happy of. Boo. But like the thing that 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 thanks for reminding me, Angela. Uh the thing that my grandfather taught me is you got a start date and a finish date. And I'm, d- I'm going to be done. I promise you got a start date and the finish date, the date you're born and the date you die. Life isn't about neither. Life is about that dash you see on this tombstone. That dash represents everything you've done. What will your dash represent? You got a start date and a finish date absolutely irrelevant. Absolutely irrelevant. It's the dash, the thing you pay the least attention to when you're visiting the cemetery. But that's the representation of what that person did between the start date and the finish date. I'm living my life on full because I plan to die on E. And I'm going to teach and train and cherish and show as many people as I can how to do the same. We're not perfect. I'm a long way from it. Uh, But I tell you what, every day I wake up and I try and I do my best. We've got a lot of work to do. I know we came a long way from talking about the Kwame Brown thing, but I think we made the point there. Uh, We've got a lot of work to do. I hope that you will join on that note. I'm going to get out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day, and thanks for stopping by.